All right, good people, welcome to tonight's Bible class with me, your host, Bishop Wayne Malcolm, the business bishop, live and direct. I want to celebrate and congratulate each and every one of you that has uh, prioritized the Word of God and the plan of God and the purpose of God for your life. I think it's critical in these troubled times, these perilous times, that we seize every available opportunity to grow our faith, uh, to strengthen our convictions, and to uh, immunize our soul from some of the thought viruses that are contaminating our destinies. I'm going to say that again, uh, we should seize every available opportunity to immunize our souls against some of the thoughts, the negative thought viruses that are sent to contaminate our destinies, our character and our outlook. And of course, we're in an age of uh, viruses, uh, particularly the coronavirus, but we are equally uh, contending with thought viruses, negative thoughts that start off as suggestions and then become scenarios if not dealt with at the suggestion stage and then when we start acting out of those scenarios those scenarios become strongholds and they give the devil leverage and a footing in our lives and then you know it takes so much more effort to tear down those strongholds and to rebuild our faith so we think it's very important that we are constantly feeding our faith and exposing ourselves to the teaching of the scriptures um i also want to remind us of something we shared on sunday which is that you know the hebrew word for fight and the hebrew word for feed they come from the same root word. So the Hebrew word translated fight and the Hebrew word translated feed come from the same root word. And when, when words branch out of a root, it means that they have uh, very striking similarities. And so what this means is that when we are feeding on the scriptures, when we are feeding our soul, when we are feasting at God's table, we are actually fighting. So this is a form of fighting, simply attending the Bible class, plugging into the hour of power, plugging into the prayer meetings, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. You are actually fighting by simply feeding your soul. And that's why in the 23rd Psalm, David said, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Well, of course, if, if you're surrounded by enemies, you would think God would give you a sword and a shield and, and some ammunition and some tools to fight with. But instead, he says, no, my answer to your enemies is to set a table before you. Because as you feast and as you feed, you are fighting because you're becoming bigger, you're becoming stronger, you're immunizing your soul against the negative thought viruses that are contaminating your destiny. And so that's why we think it's very, very important. That's why we've ramped up our teaching uh, regime and we are teaching uh, you know, different sorts of classes at different times in the week. So this is an important opportunity. Congratulations. Let's pray. Father, in the name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, we're simply grateful for the miracle of modern technology and an opportunity to connect, share, learn, and grow, even at a physical distance. But Lord, there is no distance with you because you are not limited by space or time. Your anointing is absolutely present with each and every one of us in our homes, wherever we may be and wherever we're listening to this presentation, your anointing, your amazing grace is there. And it's there to heal and to deliver, to comfort, to edify, to empower and to infuse. And Lord, we pray for an increase of peace. We pray for unspeakable joy. We pray for, um, new perspectives and paradigms, and that your people will be armed and dangerous when it comes to spiritual warfare. And this we have prayed in the mighty name of our Savior, the victor, Jesus Christ. And all the people said, amen and amen. Hallelujah. So uh, we're going to look uh, tonight at 
the subject of prayer. I want to unpack the mystery of prayer and the science of prayer. I want to try to explain what's happening when a Christian prays and why prayer is not a substitute for work. You know, for some people, when you say, well, I'm going to pray about it, they, they say, well, you, that's a cop out. You know, prayer is a, you know, for them, prayer is a substitute for taking action. But for us, prayer is the very action, the specific action that God asks us to take in the midst of a crisis. So it's very important that we realize that we live in a, uh, that the universe has a dual nature, that it is both spiritual and physical, and that its physical, um, its physicality, the material universe came out of of the spiritual world. The spiritual world preceded the physical world. And we learned this in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God. So before there was a physical universe, there was God. And we know that the worlds were framed by his word, so that the things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. And so when you realize that we live in um, a universe that has a dual nature, then it becomes easier to see how that spiritual actions um, trigger material responses in the same way that material actions trigger spiritual responses. There's a very real mechanism at work when we're praying. There's a very real science to prayer. There are very real processes that we're engaging in when we pray, and we are making a material difference when we pray. So I want to encourage our prayer lives. I want to encourage us to pray because this is an important part of our spiritual warfare. It's so important that in the in the great exhortation to spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6, I'm just going to read a little bit of it to you now. You know, Paul says, Ephesians 6, verse 13 and following, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, uh, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, I want you to notice that there's no full stop there. So a lot of people put a full stop there, but there isn't a full stop there. In the Bible, there's a, a semicolon because the next verse, verse 18, is very much part of of the the conversation uh the conversation is not complete it's not concluded when he says uh, and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god take up the, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god verse 18 says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints in other words, you know, we take up and we put on the armor of God as we pray. We take up and we put on the armor of God as we pray. So if we're going to put on the armor of God, we do it as we pray. We do it by prayer, whether it is the helmet of salvation, um, you know, whether it's the breastplate of righteousness, whether it's the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, whether it's our feet, uh, you know, protected with the gospel of peace. We do this as we pray, praying always with all prayer. Notice all prayer. So there are different kinds of prayer. So as we understand what prayer is and how prayer works and why for some people prayer is just a mechanical um, a religious duty that is void of power, you know, as we understand these things, then perhaps our prayer life will take on a new dimension. And how many of you would like for your prayer life to take on a new dimension? Say amen. That is fantastic. So what we're going to discuss tonight is why prayer doesn't work for some people, what prayer is not, why pray, what prayer is, why prayer works for others, and we're going to look at some forms of prayer, and we're going to look at praise with prayer. Woo, this is exciting. So I want to start here by saying 
that prayer doesn't work for people who presuppose errors about God's character or capacity. It is only the prayer of faith that invokes a divine response. So prayer doesn't work for people who presuppose errors about God's character or capacity. And what we mean is that, you know, we bring certain presuppositions to prayer. We, we bring um, assumptions to prayer. And if those assumptions and presuppositions are based on error, then we, we don't experience uh, a divine response. And then after a while, prayer becomes a mechanical um, uh, religious duty, a practice that is void of power. And the reason it's void of power is because it's based on presupposed errors about God's character and about his capacity. So let's look at that in some detail. Uh, let's look at what are the wrong presuppositions, the wrong presuppositions, okay? So the first thing we need to know is that prayer is not the act of informing God. We are not trying to inform God about something he does not know. So when some people go to prayer, they're like trying to tell God about something that they think he needs to know about because if he did know about it, he'd do something about it. And if he hasn't done anything about it, it's because he doesn't know about it. And so we need to tell him what's going on. We need to explain to him what's going on. Whereas the truth is that God already knows. God knows what you need before you ask him and even before you become aware of it. So we don't wanna spend a lot of time in prayer just you know, outlining the case, explaining to God exactly what it is that you think he needs to know. That's a presupposition that many people bring to prayer. It's based on an error. The truth is that God is omniscient. He's omniscient. He's the omni, which is the all. So he's omnipresent. He's everywhere present. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's omniscient means he knows everything, past, present, future, inside out. He knows exactly how you're feeling right now about what you're feeling. He knows exactly um, why you feel that way. Uh, he knows how you're thinking. He knows what you're going through. He knows why you're going through and he knows what you're going to. He knows it all. So there's not much we can inform him. So it is okay to tell God how you're feeling, but not from the place of, you know, an attempt to wake him up into some sort of action mode because he obviously doesn't know how I'm feeling. So I need to tell him how I'm feeling. So he'll wake up and get into some sort of action mode. God is not a man that he should lie, says the Bible, nor the son of man that he should repent. In other words, we in other words, you know, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are God's ways and thoughts higher than ours. So we're not informing God when we pray. Number two, we are not motivating God when we pray. Okay, so you hear some people go to prayer and basically try to move God with compassion. And like, you know, you know, they'll be crying and say, God, can't you see what's happening? God, you, God, please do something about this. Just, just do something, God, because God, you, you know, and what they're doing is they're at the assumption is that he doesn't already care. Okay. He doesn't already care. And we're trying to get God to care about something that he cares about much more deeply than you or I ever could. Whatever tears you bring to God, whatever fears you bring to God, whatever you bring to him, you have to know that he already knows and that he is already motivated. He already wants to heal, deliver, uh, rescue, restore. He, it is already his will. You see, you're not persuading God. Uh, to do something that he hadn't already decided to do, which brings us over to the third piece, which is that prayer is not the act of persuading God to get involved. God has already decided, okay? So God has already decided what is in your best interest and what outcomes serve his own purpose. So, you know, 
if prayer is not about informing God and prayer is not about motivating God and prayer is not about persuading God, then what is it fundamentally about? <laughs> you know, so I want you to get ready for this. This is a shocker. All right. We're going to shock you right now. Okay. Prayer is not about informing God. It's about informing you. Woo. What? Yeah, prayer is not about informing God. It's about informing you. Prayer is not about motivating God. It's about motivating you. Prayer is not about persuading God. It's about persuading you. The reason God wants you to talk to him is because he wants to inform you. He wants to motivate you and he wants to persuade you. You see, because he's already informed, he's already motivated, he's already persuaded. <clears throat> but it's, it's us, it's us that doesn't really know. We, we know, you know, what we can see. What we don't know is what we can't see. So as we pray and as we talk to God about the things we're going through, he will give us fresh perspectives. He'll give us a way of seeing the thing that we couldn't see before we prayed. So he's giving us information about what we're going through that we wouldn't otherwise get unless we prayed. Okay, so it's not about informing God, it's about informing you. And when it comes to motivation, it is not that God doesn't care. It is that God requires a vessel, an instrument, a door, a tool in order to intervene in the affairs of men. And of course, I know that, uh, you know, we tend to think, well, you know what? God can do anything. God can do it. God can do it. But it's, it's not so much what he can do. It's what he will do. So he will not do anything on planet Earth without the cooperation and collaboration of a person or a people. And there's a reason why he will not do so, because to do so violates um, the spiritual order. And so the spiritual order, as we're going to go into it, is that the Earth is man's domain and heaven is God's domain. And when and and so you know, though God retains the freehold on planet Earth, man is in possession of a leasehold, an Earth lease. And without permission, um, cooperation, collaboration, invitation, um, God will not intervene in the affairs of men. So you, you'll start to see this language. When you understand this concept, the language will start to appear all over the Bible. You know, people prayed, you know, God deliver us, God deliver us, God deliver us. And what would God do? Raise up a deliverer. Woo, that's interesting. God deliver us, God deliver us. What, how does he answer that? He raises up a deliverer because he needs a person uh, to legitimize his intervention in planet Earth because that's the, that's the law. That's the spiritual order that he has created and established. He's not going to violate it. He's going to work with it and through it. Uh, you'll, once you understand the concept, you'll start to see the language all over the Bible. You know, God will say, you know, I sought for a man to stand in the gap and to make up the hedge. Um, you know, and when I couldn't find one, you know, then my, my own arm brought salvation. And that was a, a prophecy of the incarnation. You know, when God couldn't find a man, uh, he became a man. He became a man to legitimize his intervention in the affairs of men. This is why you see God using people in the Bible. He uses people in the Bible. A divine intervention actually looks like a person. So when you're asking God to do something, typically he will inspire someone or a people to do these things for you. So, for example, if you said, God, you need, you know, I need a breakthrough. I need a financial breakthrough. Uh, how's God going to answer that prayer? Is he going to just, you know, send money in the mail? from nowhere is he just going to create miracle money and just drop it at the door and someone knock on the door and open the door and then there's a bag of money it's not really how it's going to happen it's going to happen through the science of favor um, you'll be promoted you'll get an invitation uh, to to a, a higher level because someone is seeing you favorably or someone will feel compelled to bless you because god's going to use people god hears prayers from people and answers prayers through 
people. So someone has to become a vessel, an instrument. Someone has to say, God, here am I, use me. And then that person. So classic example right now, you know, the ICC touch ministry is God answering prayers, the prayers of people who are alone, isolating, ill, unable to shop, uh, feeling forsaken, abandoned, forgotten. And then the phone rings. And who is it? It's one of our ICC touch buddies. Hey, how are you today, Mrs. So-and-so? I'm calling from ICANN Community Church. Just checking up on you. What's happening? How are you feeling today? And then they'll have a conversation about something and the person doesn't feel forgotten anymore. What was that? That's God answering prayer. When the doorbell rings and there's a bag of shopping outside, that's God answering prayer. But he doesn't do it without people. So the reason why we pray is not to motivate God, it's to motivate us. Which I had some help in here today. Okay? It's we that need moving. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he will send laborers into the harvest. Why doesn't God just do it himself? Because that's not the divine order. The divine order is to work through people who are surrendered to God, who are ready to make sacrifices in the name of, of the Lord. And the more of those people he has is the more of God you will see at work in the world. Somebody said, yeah, I want to see God show up. I want to see God show off. I want to see God do things. Well, not without people. It's people. <laughs> not without people. He's going to use people to show up and show off. And, uh, and that's why he calls us to prayer, because the more time we spend in his presence is the more surrendered we become to his will. It's the more that we want to become an instrument. We volunteer and say, God, use me, because his presence is, is melting away the resistances and the doubts and the fears that we have about serving God. It's melting it away. And, you know, some of your greatest decisions will be made in prayer. It's not about persuading God. It's about persuading you. It's about persuading you that, that God is trustworthy, reliable, dependable, that you can lean on him, that you can count on him. It's we that need that persuasion. It's not God. It's we that need that persuasion. And so the more that we pray effectively, we'll come out of prayer informed, motivated, and persuaded. And how many of you want to come out of prayer informed, motivated, and persuaded? So, so this really brings us to the subject of why pray. You know, why do we pray? Okay. Why do we pray? And so I've got four reasons here right now. Uh, the four reasons are as follows. First of all, the earth is man's domain. Okay. Uh, if you want a good scripture for this, perhaps a good one is the kingdom prayer, what we call the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hold on a second. The will of God is done in heaven. Where is it not done? In earth. When you look at the earth, you're not seeing the will of God. And this is the tension. This is the tension that we're all having to navigate right now, which is that if God is so good and if God is so powerful and if God is so mighty, why does evil exist in the world? Why does it persist in the world? And why, in some cases, does it prevail in the world? And this is a tension. It's a theological, philosophical, and moral tension that we all navigate, especially if you try to talk to an unbeliever about, you know, God is good. And they say, God is good? They're going to say, well, why are people starving to death in this country? And why, why does, uh, you know... Uh, you know, why does war exist? Why are there famines? What are the, you know, why, why is there a virus? Why are there these natural disasters? Why are all these things? Why does evil exist? Why does pain and suffering exist in the world if, if God is so good? And see, the, the real answer to that is very simple. If you look at Genesis chapter one, God created heaven and earth, and he, he created an ecosystem capable of sustaining life on planet earth, and then he put life on planet earth, and then he gave everything, everything over to Adam. He said, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the earth, the creeping things, everything. God gave dominion over to man, which made the earth man's domain. The earth, therefore, does not reflect its maker. The world that you're living in does not reflect the will or the character 
or of its maker. It reflects the will and the character of its management. Management. So there's a difference between the maker and the manager, the manufacturer and the manager. So, you know, if you get a car, a brand new car, straight from the manufacturer, it'll come with the manufacturer's warranty and it will look pristine, it will feel perfect, it will smell pristine inside, it will be a beautiful new car. But after six months to a year, under your management, it will no longer reflect the maker, it will reflect the management, okay? It might not be as clean on the inside, it might not be as, as spotless and pristine on the outside, it might have some scratches, some bumps, some bruises, it, you know, it may be dysfunctioning in certain ways because the, the fluids haven't been topped up and it hasn't been serviced. That car is now reflecting its manager, not its maker. So when God gave dominion of the earth over to Adam, the, the, the earth was under human management. And so the world that you see today is not the will of God. The will of God is done in heaven, but not always in earth. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't tell us, pray that the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven. What you are looking at in the world today, when you look at war and famine and um, disease and pestilence and, and corruption and greed and disparity and, and inequalities and injustices, you're not looking at the will of God. You're looking at the will of man. You're looking at the will of man. You're looking at what men have done to men and what men have done to the world. And that's why there's so many natural disasters because the creation itself is revolted in, and, is, and, is, and is rebelling against the management and is crying out for the maker to repossess the earth. The earth is man's domain. While God retains the freehold on planet earth, he has given man a leasehold. The earth is man's domain while heaven is God's. The world reflects our leadership and will not God's. Now, when it comes to this, these phrases, leasehold and freehold, they're important because if you are a leaseholder, certainly in the United Kingdom, the freeholder cannot enter the property without your permission, invitation, and um, and cooperation. They simply cannot. It's illegal. So if, if you're the leaseholder and, the, and you come home one day and the freeholder is sitting on the couch uh, having a cup of tea, um, you can call the police. It's illegal. Okay. So when it comes to the earth realm, if we want God to intervene, a human being must invite him. A human being must open the door for him. A human being must cooperate with him. Otherwise, he can stand outside and even weep, but he cannot come in without the cooperation of, of people, which is why Jesus said, Jesus didn't say, look, you know, I'm going to kick the door down. I'm going to kick the door down. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and let me in, then I'm going to come in. The psalmist said, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord. The Lord doesn't come in until someone opens the door. Prayer is our way of legitimizing the intervention of heaven on earth. Prayer opens doors for spiritual forces from heaven to act in the earth. It's legitimate. And I want to tell you that it's not only God that wants legal entry into your life. He doesn't want to kick the door down. He doesn't want to climb through the window. He wants you to open the door. It's not only God, but even the demonic realm has no legitimacy on planet earth without human beings cooperating, collaborating, and inviting. So whenever evil is present in the world, it is people who have invited evil into the world. And, um, and so this is the, 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 why the world is the way that it is, which is why we pray. We pray to open the door to God who is already knocking on the door, to legitimize divine intervention, to extend the invitation. Woo. And I've kind of explained all the other pieces. God requires invitation. 
literally God rules by consent. Without the consent of man, God's intervention has no legitimacy. So you'll see countries where God is not welcome and you can see he's not welcome, right? And he, he, doesn't, he doesn't show up, he doesn't show off because he's not welcome. He has to be invited and it could just be one person that's praying that actually legitimizes the invitation of God. God requires cooperation. God answers prayers through men. Your answers are often waiting on the sacrifices of men. The things you're praying for are held up, not because God is holding back, but because there isn't a person who is willing to make the sacrifice of obedience that fulfills the answer to your prayers. So these um, isolating people that are on their own and have no uh, family structure support around them, that we are delivering uh, essentials to and and you know, touching base with them on a daily basis and keeping them company and supporting them in, in so many ways. The truth is, if we didn't as a church do that, if we just said, oh, look, we're all scared. We all need to think about ourselves. We all need to just look after our own families and we don't need to be trying to reach out to the community. Those people would be praying and nothing would be showing up. It wouldn't be that God doesn't love them. It wouldn't be that God doesn't have a plan for them. It wouldn't be that God is not trying to do something for them. It would be waiting on us to make a sacrifice and say, you know what? I do have my own needs. I, do, I am feeling uh, fearful about some things, but I'm still going to make the sacrifice and speak into someone else's life. Now that person can experience the answer to their prayers. So God requires cooperation. God requires agreement. God will not violate his own counsel or allow prayer to build what he is demolishing or demolish what he is building. So some people, for example, by prayer are trying to build something that God is shutting down. And other people by prayer are trying to shut down something that God is building up. God requires agreement in terms of his strategy. Which is why when we pray, you know, God wants to inform us about what he's up to so we can agree with him. Because it is not God's duty to follow your plan. It is yours to follow his plan. It is not God who doesn't know what to do. It's you that doesn't know what to do. It's not God that doesn't know how to do or when to do. It's you that doesn't know how and when. So when you're praying, you want to reach a place of peace where you're just in agreement with God about what he's doing, what his plan is. And you need to get to the place where you can be still and know that he is God. So what is prayer? Prayer is discovering, discovering God's will and plan for a particular situation as declared in his word. When I'm praying, I am seeking. I'm not just asking, I'm seeking. And I'm knocking because I want to know what is God's plan? What is God up to? My primary prayer is, God, what are you up to and how can I join in? What are you up to and how can I be a part of it? And, and, and that's why, you know, when I pray, I spend the first part of my prayers just acknowledging what God has already done. Almost reminding myself that he's in control, he's good, he loves me, he's already blessed me, he's given me so much already, and he's just amazing. That's why you enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, because you don't want to rush into his presence assuming that you know what needs to be done right now, because you don't. Part of the reason why you pray is to discover because through the prayer and through the word, you're going to begin to discover that God has a plan for a particular situation, and it's revealed in his word, and it'll be confirmed in your heart. And then you need to agree with God concerning the outcomes and the processes. Prayer is about agreeing with God. You'll always hear me, you know, when I'm praying, I'll say, God, you said, God, you said, it's written in your word, it's written in your word. Uh, and, I'm, and, and, you know, and, and a large, large majority of the prayer is simply quoting the word. Now, at the early stages of your journey, you, you don't necessarily know the word, 
But that's why it's important to get on a prayer line and start to listen to seasoned people praying so that you begin to realize that actually we're not just telling God what we want. We are reminding him, okay, which is not the same as, you know, he's forgotten, but we are reminding ourselves and saying to him, this is what you said. This is what you've done for others. This is what you did for them. You know, this is what, this is what our need is but but you're you're basing it on an agreement with him so that's important okay uh prayer is aligning aligning your language with god's word reminding yourself of the promises plans and provisions of god and finally it's enforcing it's insisting his word will and way by declaration decree and demand now that's deep so we'll do that a lot in prayer you know we will enforce the word of God, okay, with, with our authority. And we will make a declaration that it is so. We'll make a decree and we'll make a demand. Now, we're not silly. You know, we're not silly when we do this. We know that sometimes we've, missed in, we've misinterpreted the particular situation and application of that passage, Okay. But most times we'll get it right and push it through. And you'll be surprised at how demonic structures just move out of your way. Uh, things suddenly turn around because you've become militant to enforce the will of God uh, by your declaration, by your decree, by your demand. And, and you're using your spiritual authority. And what is your authority? Your authority is Christ and his name. Because what Jesus actually gave to believers is the power of attorney. Woo! What we have is the power of attorney. What do I mean by the power of attorney? It, it means we have the right, the legal right, to use the name of Jesus and to use his resources. So we don't have to cash a check from our own account because your own account might be in the red but but once he gives you his checkbook and says you know sign my name then actually you know he's good for it he's good for it and therefore we can enforce his will in the name of jesus christ now that's a, a whole nother teaching a very powerful teaching that we need to do at some point on spiritual authority but this is really what prayer is more about okay it's more about discovering, agreeing, aligning, and enforcing. It's about discovering, agreeing, aligning, and enforcing. It's about discovering, agreeing, aligning, and enforcing the will of God. So does that mean we don't ask for anything? Oh, yes, we do. We, it's very important that we do ask, ask for things. But we're asking for things that we've discovered belong to us. Come on now. We're asking for things that we've discovered is his will for us. We're not just asking for things. We're actually asking according to his will. The Bible says if you ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. And we know that if he hears us, then we have it. So we first, you know, we, we ask according to the will we have discovered. And sometimes you discover it by revelation while you're praying and praising God. Sometimes you discover it in the word. But as you discover the will, then you can ask for anything according to his will. So when prayer works, prayer works for people who believe in the promises, plans, and provisions of God. Wow. Who does prayer work for? People who believe people who, I cannot stress this enough, I cannot overstate this. It is the prayer of faith. It is, it is the prayer with faith, which is why you will notice whenever I'm leading prayer, I will build my faith before I pray. I'll remind myself how good God is, how great God is, how kind and how loving God is. I'll remind myself as to why I have a right to come boldly to the throne, that I'm not coming in my name, but I'm coming in his name. I'll remind myself of the promises of God, what God has said.
what his heart is, what his plan is, that he plans to give us a hope and a future. And what am I doing? I'm building my faith so that whatever I'm going to ask, I am asking it from a place of faith. Whatever I'm going to ask, I'm asking from a place of victory. I'm not asking for victory. I'm asking from victory. I'm not asking for it. I'm asking from it. I'm receiving it by faith, and then I'm asking it out of that position. And really, typically, I'm only asking for a manifestation of what I believe God has already done, what he has already promised, the provision he has made. But somebody said, well, Bishop, if God's already done it, then you just sit back and wait for it. No, that's a misunderstanding of how the whole system works. Uh, let me help you with this and say that the land of Israel was called the promised land. And it was land that God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to their seed. So it's covenant land. It's covenant country. It's promised land. And yet the children of Israel had to possess it by step by step. God said, Joshua, everywhere the sole of your foot shall tread, that have I given to you. So he has to possess it, and he has to possess it strategically, intentionally, and, and by warfare, he possesses his possessions. So actually, the fact that it belongs to me does not inspire me to sit back and fold my hands. It actually inspires me to get up and fight for what's mine. So if I know that this is mine, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to knock and keep knocking till I get it. I'm going to say it and say it again. I'm going to declare it and declare it again. I'll decree it and decree it again. Why? Because I, I know by revelation it's mine. It's what God wants for me. God wants your health. Pray for it. Don't just wait for it. You, you know that God wants your, your wealth. Don't just don't just wait for it, pray for it. Glory to God. You, you know that God wants, wants something for your life, then actually begin speaking into it, agreeing with God, aligning your language, enforcing that will, making that declaration. Woo, it's powerful. Now your results are accelerated by unity and praise. What? Unity and praise. Listen to me. In your house, with your spouse, you better stop arguing right now. Because without the unit, where, where there is no unity, you're actually delaying your results. Okay? You're pushing back the results. Okay? Because there's another spiritual law that's being breached here. Okay? But furthermore, there's a principle that if two of you shall agree, agreement is very, very important. One will chase a thousand, two will put 10,000 to flight. When we come together and pray, wow, we create such force with prayer. So, you know, you'll notice the Holy Spirit came and the church was born when 120 people were praying together. Okay. Um, prayer, you know, you know, Whenever the children of Israel faced a national threat, you know, the call of the prophets was, was pray and fast. And when the people came together and prayed, this accelerates the result. Unity is very, very important. That's why Jesus said, if you have aught against anyone when you pray, forgive them. Uh, you know, forgive them when you're praying because you can't pray from this place of bitterness and anger and resentment. Then you've got someone on your mind with bad feelings and arguments and quarrels. You leave your gift on the altar and make peace. Just, for, just forgive it. Just cancel it out so you can go to God in this place of unity. And praise will accelerate results. Why? Because praise is how you receive it by faith. You see, you have to receive what you're asking for before it arrives. Yeah, you do. You have to receive it before it shows up. 
So Jesus said, whatever things you desire when you pray in Mark 11, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. What? Believe that, they, that, believe that, that you've received them and then you will have them. So if I give you something, you know, if I give you a, a mobile phone and say, here you go, what do you do? Just put, put, stick your hand out, take the phone, put it in your pocket, turn around and walk off. You're ungrateful. I should grab the phone right back out of your hand. What you're supposed to do is say, thank you, Bishop. Wow. I, how did you know I needed a phone? Thank you, Bishop. What's happening? It's still in my hand but you're thanking me, you're thanking me. And when it's in your hand, you're still thanking me. You're thanking me because that's how we receive something. So whatever you believe that God is giving to you, you begin to thank him for it like you already have it. You begin to praise him for it like it's already yours. You get excited about it like it's already, because in a spiritual reality, you have it. All the distance is manifestation. Manifestation can be accelerated by your praise. And as you praise God, you accelerate the manifestation of the things he has promised you. How do we know this? Another scripture, the walls of Jericho. God said, Joshua, march around the walls of Jericho. But at the last time, lift your voice and shout like you already have it. Celebrate like you already have it and you will have it. So as they shouted and they praised God for victory over the city, the walls came down. This is a principle. As you celebrate the arrival of the things that you're believing God for, then whatever's standing in the way will fall down and collapse. This is so powerful. Glory to God. The answers will come. Remember this, God is sovereign. Don't, don't think you can twist God's arm. Remember, Prayer is not persuading God. He's already decided. Prayer is about persuading you. You're not going to twist God's arm to do your will, okay? So your answer will always come, but it will come as yes, no, or wait. Yes, no, or wait. If it's his will for you, the answer will be yes, but it may also be yes, but wait because you're not ready for the very things you're asking for, because there's something else that needs to be accomplished first. Yes, but wait. And if the answer is no, it's because you've missed the will, okay? But an answer will always come. Someone say, oh, God doesn't always answer my prayers. Yes, he does, but sometimes the answer is no. So yeah, he answered you with a no. And you've got to trust him that even that no was coming from a place of love. You have to trust him that even that no was coming from a place of wisdom. You need to trust him that just like a parent, you know, a child will say, oh, let me play with those scissors. No. Where is the no coming from? It's coming from a place of love and wisdom. So even when God says no, he is, it's, it, that's, that's love. That's love. So I'm going to close out with some forms of prayer because I think we've virtually done. I need to take some questions. Uh, prayer forms, Thanksgiving. Okay. Thanksgiving is a way of receiving answers by faith. You don't just want to thank God for what he's done that's already manifested. You want to thank God for what he has done spiritually and for what you believe is his plan for your life. You thank God for your future like it's already passed. Intercession. This is a powerful form of prayer. It's not about you. When you're interceding, you're never interceding for you. When you're praying about your stuff, that's called supplication or petition. Intercession is you interfering in someone else's business. It's a form of intercepting, interfering, or intervening on behalf of others. And it's where, it's where someone else is, is struggling, suffering, trapped, incarcerated, perishing. And you say, devil, not on my watch. 
and you get in between that situation and you fire your tools, you fire your spiritual weapons, you fire your authority, you enforce the will of God in that situation and you are interrupting the plan of the enemy. Intercession is always about interrupting what the enemy is doing, interfering and intervening on the behalf. Supplication is 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 when you is is what your what you, it's your requests, it's your needs, it's where you say, God, you know what I need. I need this, I need that, and I know you know this, but I'm just saying it, you know? That's where that's where you put your petitions on the altar. Okay. And you cast your cares on him, uh, knowing that he cares for you. Praise is celebration, celebrating the answer before the answers before they appear is a form of prayer. Because I'm not just thanking you, I'm celebrating right now. I'm celebrating that this victory. I'm celebrating this breakthrough. I'm celebrating this. Come on now, somebody shout. Woo! Hallelujah. Confession. Confessing the word and making declarations based on the word is a form of prayer. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Oh God, you are my shield, my defense, my strong tower, my hiding place. You are my buckler. You are my exceeding great reward. In the time of trouble, you will hide me in your pavilion, in the secret of your tabernacle. Oh God, Come on now, what are you doing? You're confessing, you're aligning with the words, particularly the praying, praying Psalms. That's why you want to get Psalm 91 in your spirit. You want to get, you want to get, you want to get your favorite Psalms in into your language so that you can just confess the promises of God and decrees. That's where you're commanding and demanding and decreeing a result based on revelation of promise and purpose. When you have a re revelation of God's purpose, you order it like you're a king. You're sitting on the throne and you, you are in the place of authority and I am ordering this to show up. I am ordering this to stop. I am ordering this to cease. I am ordering this to happen. Man, when you get into that decree zone, you sound like, you sound like a king because guess what? You are. To God be the glory. You've been listening to a live sermon at ICANN Community Church. We hope that you feel inspired, informed, and empowered to take your life to the next level. We want to build a relationship with you, whether you attend ICC or not. Of course, we would love for you to visit or even to join. But if that's not possible, we can still stay in touch. Go to our website at www.icancommunitychurch.com and subscribe to our mailing list for updates on special events which may be coming to an area near you. Until next time, this is Bishop Wayne Malcolm saying God bless you.